following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. No sheets? That's okay. It's one of these I remember. I got the high five. Yeah, actually, you know what? What's up? Oh, here. This is one. Yes. You can have it. So, I just need to look up where it is. Oh. Um, so, the, there we are discussing last week's parasha, and two weeks ago's portion, where there was uh, two fascinating stories. One, the first story was a famous story with, I think we might have mentioned it two weeks ago, actually, the story of, um, oh, so excited for yeah, I mean, the you just want to make a grand entrance, that's all. However, it is definitely a break. You break it, you own it. Let me be clear on our policies here. So we're starting from the side one, which is chapter 38. Scotty, you have to give, me, give Brian a... Bullshit. So... This is the first portion we deal with. It talks about the story of Yehuda and Tamar, um, which is an interesting story in the Torah. Again, I always say this is a proof that God wrote the Torah because we, we always discuss the, the shortfalls of our forefathers and foremothers, meaning, uh, meaning it, it goes into intricate detail, a story of a sordid affair that you, Judah, Jacob's eldest son had with a well, someone he thought was a prostitute, who ends up being his daughter-in-law. Um, okay, this is not a family. Are you okay with your son? Here he is. You okay with your son? Yeah. <laughs> um, Thank you for asking. But <laughs> so, uh, so the bottom line is, is the story. To make a long story short, beginning of you see it on your page there. It's chapter thirty-eight. This is in Parshat Vayeshev. Um, so it's, it actually talks about it. This is immediately after they sold their son. I'm sorry, they sold Joseph. The brothers sold Joseph. So it says, um, the verse starts off, Yehuda went down. Literally means geographically he went down. But um, there's a lot of commentary discussing how he actually, Judah was put down. He was the family leader. But because of what happened, the selling of Joseph, the brothers ostracized him and the rest of the family, he no longer was the family leader. Um, based on the fact that they, they blamed him for what happened. They said, you are a leader, and you could have told us not to, if you would have told us not to sell Joseph, not to kill him, and bring him back to, the, to our father, we would have listened to you. The fact that you didn't tell us, so it's all your fault. We all blamed Judah, and he was sort of, um, went down in stature. So that's what the Torah is referring to. And what happens is he, he marries this, what they call a Canaanite woman, um, and his two sons, well, actually three sons with her, Okay, and this is actually the, the source, one of the sources, as we'll see, 
in um, in the world. If you ever heard of the the um, expression called onanism, okay, which signed the medical term for it is coitus interruptus, okay, um, which means that uh, basically bef- um, there's Torah discusses here that both sons died. And it doesn't say the reason, it doesn't give the reason, but the Medrash and the Talmud discuss the reason is that the first son, his name was Er, it says that he, um, he didn't want his wife was beautiful, he didn't want his wife to become pregnant and hence get stretch marks, etc. So he would, prior to ejaculation, he would pull out, which is, again, the medical term is called coitus interruptus. And the Torah calls him, um, the Torah says he died because he was evil in the eyes of God. So this is one of the sources that they bring as um, for this concept. And the second son, his name was Onan, um, is hence the term Onanism, the English term. Which, um, I don't know the exact translation, Onanism. You can look it up. Smartphone. Oh, um, Onanism, which basically means uh, someone who practices his coitus interruptus. Okay? And a brand of generators as well. Onanism? O-N-A-N. Okay. Um, so that's a parenthetical note. But what happens is after these two sons die, um, so Yehuda wants the daughter-in-law. The daughter-in-law first actually married Er. After he died, she married his brother, the other son of Judah. Um, the reason is because, as you know, there's a mitzvah in the Torah called, called um, uh, Leverite marriage, Yibum. Okay, Leverite marriage, which, which means that one needs to... Thank you for not taking that. Um, <laughs> Which means love right marriage. Rabbi, since you said that this is the proof that God wrote the book, I can't, can't <laughs> leave right in the middle of, of that. <laughs> um, I mean, I've been waiting for that proof for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the love right marriage. The book and Moses wrote it down or something. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The love right marriage is that what if God forbid someone's brother dies without children? So in order to perpetuate the name of the, the brother, the name of the family, so the, the law is the, the next brother is supposed to marry the sister. His sister was normally, by the way, is prohibited in the Torah, not in the, in the context of evil, not in the context of Levite marriage. You're actually not allowed to marry your sister-in-law. But um, the Torah says when the brother dies without children, then there's a mitzvah to marry her. This is not done today. We'll try this at home. Well, my wife kept me alive. Just want to marry my brother. And this is, don't try this at home, but the point is, so today we do a different process called Chalitza. There is an option to back out, you don't have to do it. Um, but in either case, so in this particular case, even though it was before the Torah was given, she ended up marrying the brother-in-law in order to perpetuate her first husband's name. So the brother-in-law did marry her. The third son, after the second uh, son-in-law, second son of Judah died, second husband of this woman died, she, uh, Judah wanted her to marry the third son. He was too young, and she didn't want to wait. But she knew, supposedly, the way this, the, the Medrash talks about it, she understood that Judah, as we know, King David came from Judah, all the, the Sions of the um, kingdom of Israel, all the subsequent kings came from Judah. So she knew that, she knew that, and she wanted them, she wanted to be the foremother, so to speak. So she, Instead of marrying the, the next brother, she basically dressed up as a prostitute, stood in the crossroads, as the verse says, as we'll read here. And when Judah passed by, um, she offered her services to Judah, and he took her up on it, not knowing his, his daughter-in-law. Okay, 
So the point getting back to the issue of, of well, let's read it and then we'll, we'll discuss it. So let's start from verse where it says from 38 verse 13. It says, and Tamar was told as follows, Behold, your father-in-law is coming up to Timnah. So I, I'm starting in the middle of the story here, but it's on your sheet, um, side one, where it says chapter 38. So behold, your father-in-law is coming up to Timnah to share his sheep. So she removed her widow's garb from upon her, covered herself with a veil. In those days, I guess the prostitutes would wear a veil. Um, and re- meaning the point was he shouldn't recognize her, and wrapped herself up. She then sat by the crossroads, she's on the road toward Timnah, for she saw that Sheila um, had grown and she had not given him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he taught her to be he thought her to be a harlot, not taught her. He thought her to be a harlot, since she had covered her face. Um, so he detoured to her by the road and said, Come if you please, let me consult with you. For he did not know that she was his daughter. And she said, What will you give me if you consult with me? He replied, I will send you a kid of the goat from the flock. She said, Provide you leave a pledge until you send it. So he, she said she wants collateral. She wants something, uh, some form of collateral. Um, and he said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet, your wrap, and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave her, her, her um, Yehuda, Yehuda gave her her signet ring, his signet ring, um, and his staff. And he gave them to her and consulted with her, and she conceived by him, and she became pregnant, which is what she wanted. Um, then she rose, left, removed her veil from upon her, she put on her widow's garb. She went back to her regular life. Judah sent the kid of the ghost to ascend the Adul, Adulamite to retrieve the pledge from the woman, but he did not find it. He inquired of the people of her place, where is the prostitute, the one at the crossroads by the road? They said there was no prostitute here. We don't know if there's no prostitute. This is a nice residential neighborhood. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. Even the local men said there was no prostitute here. So Judah said, let her keep them, let, lest we become a laughing stock. I really sent her this kid, but you could not find her. So then what happens is, so this is before they had uh, pregnancy tests, or, or what's it called? Ultrasound. Ultrasound, right, sonograms. So, after three months, you know, when someone becomes pregnant, it took three months till you know the person's pregnant. So it says, so the Torah continues, when it was about three months had passed, when she started showing, it was told to Judah, saying, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has sinned. She, she, uh, she committed, it wasn't adultery, but she obviously had a relationship with someone. She was... She's she, pregnant. Yeah, but I'm saying it, it's not adultery, even though she's promised to the third son when he comes of age. Oh, so that's a very good point. You're so making. so there's a question why... Right, right. Yeah, so because it says, because Yehuda, they, they send her out to be killed. So it sounds like it's a capital crime. So it's a very good point. Why is it a capital crime? So one of the answers given is, is that answer. The fact that she was supposed to marry the third son because of this love right marriage, so that's why it was considered not... A, a capital exactly. Very good point. Very good point. So you hear his answer. The question is: So now, what happens? Yehuda says to her. Yehuda hears that she, she, uh, she had relations with someone. She should be taken out and burnt. Of course, not knowing that he was the one. She's carrying his child. Um, so he. So the question is: Why? What did she do wrong? She's single. Um, technically speaking, there was no adultery here. She was a widow. Um, so there's a lot of different answers. One of the main answers given is what he just said, um, that, uh, 
But the point is, since she was, she's in what's called this levirate marriage, she's stuck, she had to marry, unless she does chalitza first, which is this, to get out of the marriage, sort of like this process, which sort of like a divorce. In other words, they're sort of almost considered married in that sense. And therefore, it was a capital crime. According she, to some so people. the story says she saw that the, the one that was she was supposed to marry, they didn't keep up there into the bargain. Yeah, but still, but there has to be a, an official process of ending that like the relationship, right? There has to be some form. That's 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 in it, that's so one of the answers. It's kind of like it has to be proven that they did meet their end, but since they died, that can't be done. Well, no, it has to be, there's a process. Today, what we do is, since we don't do the Yibam, we don't um, oh. do the Yibam, so there's something called Chalitza, which basically is some weird process the Torah spells out, where the sister and the brother will come to a, a bet in, they come to a Jewish court, and she takes off a shoe, she spits in a shoe, some type of heebie-jeebie uh, thing, which is very strange. I've actually attended some, I've been... You got right that part, too, the heebie-jeebie yes. part? Yes, of course. Okay. Okay. You know, can I, can I ask a question just yes. real quick? Why does she spit in the shoe? Is it because I don't want you, or I mean, what, no, what is she's that? No, he rejected her, so to speak. So she's that's does the Torah doesn't say. The Torah just tells us the process. What well, if she's re- rejecting him, or isn't she allowed? Well, to? she yeah, she has a right to reject him, but she still and she still spits in the shoe. It's very curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess it's kind of like when a dog slobbers in a shoe. It feels uncomfortable either way. So. And it is a very uncomfortable process. I mean, I've been I've attended them. It was very awkward. It's obviously, sister-in-law, brother-in-law, they know each other. For a length of time, and obviously decide they don't want. To, I mean, today where it's it's the given that they don't get married, it's still it's not a it's not a very uh, uncomfortable class. I've, I've seen it. Um, spit in the shoe. Yeah, but that was, yeah, the whole thing is a little awkward. Again, we don't know. The Torah doesn't give a reason why. Well, I'm just instead of, but that is necessary in order to end the relationship. So they have sort of a built-in relationship automatically when mm-hmm. the brother dies without you. Yeah, understand. Okay, so. So, uh, so Yehuda says she, she needs to be taken out and be killed. And then what continues, it says, as she was taken out, and this is what we want to get to, she sent word to her father-in-law saying, okay, so she, now obviously you have to realize the context. This woman, she had relations with her, with her father-in-law. Her father-in-law is basically the leader saying she needs to be killed now. She could have just said, one second, it's his baby, right, as she's being taken out to execute. So what does she do? As she's being taken out to be executed, she says, she takes the staff and the signet ring, and she says, by the man to whom these belong to, I am with child. She said, identify if you please, who are these signets, this wrap and the staff. So she sent it to a follower, the messenger. So she didn't, so the, so what happens? I'll tell you the end of the story, and we'll get to our point. Judah recognized, um, recognized them, obviously. She sent them to the messenger, and he recognized this is her. This is his. And, came, and uh, Judah recognized and he said, she is right, it is for me, and as much as I did not give her Sheila my son, and he was not intimate with her anymore. And it came to pass, so what happens? So basically Judah admitted that he had relations with her. Okay? So uh, what I understand though is uh, right not, here. Uh, not, he didn't say he tried to get out of it, cigars, mm-hmm. But he's saying but else. he no longer so continued to be intimate with her? Does no, not him. They're talking about the oh, other the son, son, the third son. Yeah, the third okay, son. Sorry, Right. She's so right. Judah impregnated her, the third son married her? No. Okay. No, I mean, he's just saying he's admitting he was wrong because mm-hmm. he didn't, um, he didn't allow, adulterer. right, he didn't, no. well, not indulge her, but he didn't give her the third son, etc. So, so there's two parts here, and then it says it came to pass, at the time we just finished the story, she gave birth, that behold, there were twins in her womb, and it happened that she gave birth, one put her hand, okay, nice story, so the twins are born, and King David, as we know, comes from these, from this birth. 
So first of all, this is another interesting part. We always find just this, and as an aside, I believe we mentioned this in the past when we spoke about leadership, that in Judaism, this is one of the beauties and what I was mentioning before, that Jewish leaders always, it's a good thing, we want them to have skeletons in their closet. Words, we don't want the perfect, we don't have a Pope, we don't have a person who is the perfect person, and yeah. you know, whatever he does, we can't question, on the contrary. We want our leaders, it's a good thing, the Talmud says it's a good thing when leaders have skeletons in the closet, so we can we realize they're human. Well, everyone's human. Um, everyone sins, everyone has issues. There's no perfect person out there. Um, so, and, th- and that's part of this, the story here. Judah admits he was wrong, and this is where King David comes from. King David comes from, so almost an ancestral relationship um, is where he's born from. And King David is our, you know, is our monarchies, right? So it's all of our monarchies. It's a fascinating concept we find. Um, but my point was before about God writing the Torah, that the fact that we put this, all these sordid um, graphic details into the Torah, Whereas if you were starting a religion, this is my own theory. If you're starting a religion, you're writing a book. You want to, you don't, you wouldn't write all this nasty stuff about about the founders of the religion. That's my uh, that's my own theory of my own personal proof. You can you can buy it. Um, it's just it's just an interesting point. Meaning any other, if you find any other religious text, the, the, the fact that there are different writing styles. Well, that's a different question. Oh, you know, okay. there's, that's, there's many arguments about uh, okay. Bible criticism, and there's many proofs okay. against. Well, for. I'm just saying this. I, I, this one point is my theory is that that any if you don't find any other religious text, not that I'm an expert on other religions, but in any other in the New Testament, in the Quran, in any other, well, you don't find nasty stuff about the leaders. Um, it's always revisionist like history. I just want to distinguish yes. that your theory is opposed to the way you stated originally. That's that's the proof. No, I said it's my. This it's is my theory. Me, it's a personal <laughs> proof. I, yes, clearly. Well, it's theory. a good point. Everything I say because, is because in the New Testament, I'm thinking back to way back, and I don't remember ever reading anything negative about no, JC in there. there. There isn't anything there. The there isn't anything. I don't think in the New Testament. I know that every. Christianity is taken out of the Book of Mary, and it actually shows Jesus as a child of bully. So they had to take it out because otherwise it shows him too human and too like a bully. So yeah, that's just a side note. I don't want to get into uh, religion. Just okay. it's my personal uh, you have your holy personal thing. Well, it is interesting. It's like the yeah, brothers no, with Joe. All these, you know, these guys. Some of these guys did things that. Oh, yeah, so nice. I, 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 yeah, no, a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. seemingly on the surface. So, listen, yeah, yeah. of course, we rationalize the actions and mm-hmm. try to understand why we did them. Mm-hmm. That's our job as, as uh, rabbis and scholars. Well, it was all supposed to happen. Can I ask one more question? If it's relevant David to David comes from this line? Yeah. Yes, yes. How many generations down after this? I, I don't know my history question. well enough. I don't either, um, but it's approximately, I would say, maybe five or six. Okay. He's a little way down the line. 150 years? Something like that. Yeah. Not David's that far down. And as we know, David's other other side Yeshua. is okay. Ruth. Joshua. Is Ruth, which is a convert. So mm-hmm. one side is not even Jewish. And fascinating. Uh, Anyway, but the, the points I want to focus on, the, a, another parenthetical point is, of course, Judah admits he's wrong, which is another thing hard, hard to find in leadership, especially today, such as similar cases we have with our politicians. You have to pick on Bill Clinton, but I'm just saying a question where you have a you know, sexual liaison with, with a leader where they actually admit they did it and they admit, admit publicly that they're wrong. Is his public admission that he was wrong 
to have relations, or is public admission wrong that he, he was going to burn her by the well, state? Well, he admit her, admitted no. that he had relations. That itself, obviously, I'm sure that was scandalous enough. Wrong. He, says, well, he doesn't oh, have to mean. say it was wrong. The point What's is, he admitted, is I, I <coughs> he admitted to the act. He owned up to the act. He could have denied it. He could have, it was all private, if you remember. He didn't have to say anything. She sent him the stuff in private. So that alone. But then again, he went around to. But does he and a bunch of other people saying, Where's the harlot? I gave her this and this and this. So she came out with those things. Yeah, that was, well, that was his, his messenger. He didn't go around, but his messenger. Well, even so, so it's sort of like Bill Clinton used sending someone to Monica Lewis. But even so, if he denies it, eventually rumors are going to start on that. Yeah, okay. Uh, said, well, my master true. gave away this cloak and Yeah, but the assumption yeah. is he had a nice chief of staff who yeah. would keep it private. But the point is, my point is that did he doesn't say what he admitted to, not clear, but he admitted that he had relations with him. Obviously, that's public. So and the point being is, point being is that that uh, he just honed up to what he did, which is a pretty impressive. He could have just sent her. She was on the way to be executed. He could have had her executed, yeah. and no one would ever have known. So does, maybe, she, uh, so does Tamar now become his wife? No. Well, because having relations, that they're now married. No, that's not, unless you have relations with the intent to marry. Yeah, but the important so thing. So Judah can have, he can go to a, a tent on the side of the road and no ramifications. Well, he doesn't know what she was. doesn't matter, that's what I'm well, saying. No ramifications? I, 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 I he can do it whatever yes. he wants? No, I think, does he have to provide for any children, sire, or anything? Well, yeah, that might be something else. Yeah, so but I'm saying, are, as far as yes, there's no ramifications. Yes, technically children, speaking, no, no ramifications. So now that, so is the kid a mom, sir? No, because it's not adultery. Um, I mean, there's so much going on here. That, I mean, it's like, yeah, I don't want to. I gotta get to my topic. And I think the important thing here is that she doesn't turn him in. She doesn't. Yeah, that's she doesn't to. publicly embarrass him. Yes, that's what. That's what I want to get to. Very important. Okay, Scotty, Scotty, you're running out of time. It's almost New Year's. It's a forbidden relationship. Scotty, we're going to get that stuck. Yes, that's before the Torah. You're right, so technically speaking, a daughter is a forbidden relationship. Tom's on the Shabbos, that would get him more than New Year's. Yeah, but if you think about it at the same time, she had not yet been, while she hadn't married his two sons, they had died, and. Technically, the third son, she had not yet been given to him. So, no, but technically, she, she had been given. No, she, she was, was given the third one, and they said, "Hey, hang out." No, wait, no, they, 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 it's they not said, a given. It's just because she falls. It's not a given. It's they a said, "Wait, wait, wait." They said, "Wait for him to grow up, and then you can have him." Because now you're saying, "What aspect?" Technically, she's not yet his. Tore applies, even though they didn't. I'm telling you, they were using Yibum. The reason why she wanted to have a relationship with the father was because of Yibum. She wanted to perpetuate that. No, so you're right. So technically, this was Yibum. That's exactly the point. That's why he said she shouldn't be killed. It wasn't because it was his daughter and he did it. It was his baby. It was because she did. Because she first married the first son, the first son died, then the second No, my point is, the shining is I Oh, all right. Yeah. Or wasn't given this third. Yes. But here we are going to practice the Torah. Yes. The Torah. 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 The Okay, so I want to focus on so this other aspect, which 
The Talmud learns from here, which is a fascinating um, Talmud. Talmud learns from here um, that it says that, and this is a very strange statement, on, from this verse, from one of the places, Talmud says, you see from here that it's better for someone to be throw themselves into a fiery furnace mm-hmm. than to embarrass someone publicly. Because yeah. mm-hmm. you see that Tamar, this woman, she could have just said, listen, hey, be taken out to be executed. This is Judah's baby. Right, he's, he's, he's the daddy, right? But she didn't say that. She sent him a private message, and knowing full well that she was taking a risk, he could have just said, burn her at the stake. Okay, so she took that risk. So they said, this is one of the sources. You see that it's better to be burnt. That's what the Talmud says. Um, better to throw yourself into a fiery furnace than to embarrass someone in public. Okay, this is one source. And the other source is in this past week's parsha, which I have on the other side of the sheet, I believe. Um, Pasha the Yigash. But didn't she call him out in public? She, no, she, didn't, she didn't. She didn't specifically call so him. She sent the message. You look right, back right. at the verse. She, she didn't specifically call him. She says, for the man to whom these belong. No, she sent, she sent a package with his signet ring, with his staff and cloak, with a, a messenger. Send, bring this to Judah. And she and the message inside was, um, whoever these belong to, this is this is baby I'm carrying. Oh, okay. Okay, so that's, that's why I had relations. So, so it was in private. It was in private. That one doesn't, doesn't make sense either. Why? Why does it make sense? We, no, the verse I mean, says. you would think somebody's going to send you to the fire, but no, I don't Exactly. That's exactly the, the point the that Tom was making. Well, the way it's but they're not, makes they're, it they're not like mutually she, exclusive. What's that? She, you could look, take a step back. I'm sending you a private message. I'm about, you know, do good here. Mm-hmm. Or by the way, I do. Ha- I still have the get out of jail card, mm-hmm. and I'm going to announce it. So, right. but by giving the get out of jail card to the messenger, she no longer has a name. Mm-hmm. No, but she, she could have. So the point is, now, she's on her way to be executed. Right, she could have said, she "Hey, look what I got," and this is the guy that made me pregnant. But she didn't. She wrapped him up, sent him, and sat no, there, taking the risk been, that he could have yeah, said, said "Send it to the thing." Then he, he, he does the right that's thing. How I'm, yeah. That's how I'm interpreting. All right, Okay, so so that's one source of this uh, statement. Very, and we'll talk about the statement in a second. Is it literal or not? But there's another in this. If you turn over the page, on chapter 45, the bottom of side two, it says like this. At, well, this is this past week's pressure, the climax of the story. Joseph and his brothers. Um, what happens is the, the brothers, he keeps on, he never told them who he is, they don't recognize him, he recognizes the brothers. So the Torah says at one point Joseph couldn't restrain himself anymore after they brought him um, Benjamin, who was his own brother, he says, now Joseph, uh, chapter 45, verse 1, now Joseph could not, it's on your sheet, Joseph could not restrain himself in the presence of all who stood before him, so he called out, remove everyone from before me. As no one remained with him, when he, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He cried in a loud voice, then of course he couldn't, it says after they took everyone out of the room, meaning he had all his advisors, people from the Egyptian government, he made them leave. So Talmud says from here too, we see, meaning he could have, uh, there was a risk to Joseph here, and I'm not sure exactly what the risk is, but it says also we see this concept of he, he wouldn't embarrass his brothers, even though all they'd done to him, he wouldn't embarrass them in public, in front of other people. So he let him, when he let himself know, he obviously they would have the shock of their life. So he did it again in private. So the same concept that Talmud says from this uh, story here. Um, what embarrassment would there have been? Huh? If, if, if Joseph was going to chastise his brothers, say, look, ha, I mean, look what you did to me, and now look, <coughs> look at my position, 
that would have been yes, no. that would have been that could have been embarrassing in front of others. No, so I'm saying say, if they're going to reveal themselves after 18 years, you, they sold him as a slave. They wanted to kill him, sold him as a slave, okay. threw him in a pit with scorpions, and then uh, he so says, they, they "I am your brother." Story, they're going to start begging well, for forgiveness. I mean, they, if the Jews did that story. No, but I'm saying even if they didn't, even people if they will did, come they, out. They they're going to start crying and, and right. So clearly everyone's going to figure out the story. Themselves in front of right. the other so people. he, he um, made the decision to do it in the, private, to kick everyone out of the room. But would the Egyptians have really cared? I mean, it wasn't like... It's still embarrassing for the brothers. It's not the question of Egyptian caring. It's the, it's the issue of the brothers. Right. He didn't want still to embarrass could be embarrassing others. to you, even if others... So he didn't want to embarrass the brothers, or he yes. didn't want to embarrass himself? No, the brothers, brothers says he didn't want to embarrass, embarrass the brothers. Listen, they knew he came from a slave boy. G but I, I feel like... Egyptians in, in knew the, that where he came from. In this, at least in the versions I've read, he doesn't make a huge secret of it, After, from what I've seen. No, but he never, when, he doesn't say anywhere that he revealed the story of, that his brothers sold him <coughs> as a slave. Okay. He knew he was a slave. The question is how he became a slave. Okay, okay. That's the so issue. So his brothers were the ones that sold him into slavery. So, so the question is, um, so, so the, this is a Gemara. It's in Talmud Bab I didn't have time to translate to actually type it up in English. So I have, I have the Hebrew here. Um, so it says like this. Um, so again, the 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 Gemara in Bab Matzias says like this. It says, "Amar Biochanan Shimon, Biochanan Reb Shimon Bayochai." Biochanan said in the name of of Shimon Ben Yochai. Noach lo adam. It is better for a person the should, should throw himself into a fiery furnace. yalbin not to embarrass. Yalbin literally means turn white, turn his friend's face white um, in public. Minalan. How do we know this? What's the source? Mitamar from this story in the Bible of Tamar, with the, the original story of Judah and and his daughter Tchsev, and it brings this verse that uh, she sent it privately to her father. Okay, so now the question now becomes, is this to be taken in a literal sense? Does that mean literally, before embarrassing someone in public, I'm supposed to let myself be killed or not? Or is this a nice um, euphemism, you know, don't embarrass someone in public is a terrible thing. And also, what's so terrible? I mean, even if you want to say it's not literal, but what is so terrible? Yes? Well, then I was going to, because isn't the number one thing other than the three big no-nos, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to value your life. Well, one of the no-nos isn't embarrassing somebody. I know you're not right. supposed to, so putting yourself in the fire is taking your life for not embarrassing right. it. That's not what we Exactly. Learned. So normally, is 100%, so right, normally okay. in Judaism, we don't give up our life for anything except the big three, which is adultery, idolatry, and murder. Okay, otherwise we do not, we never sacrifice our life. Even for, 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 for to save another? No. Even, especially to save another. So if you're in the desert and you're oh, but embarrassing someone is considering killing them. You're not oh, allowed so to yes, share. Maybe. That's I'm going to shoot all these hostages. Yes, yeah, so we're getting off tangent, but then, no, we don't, you don't give up your life even to save someone else's life. You can't donate your heart. Let's say someone... You, you know, someone, you, right, do you want to donate your heart to someone who needs a heart transplant? That's prohibited in Judaism. Called suicide. Well, I wouldn't turn it my heart anyways. I like the heart. But I meant more of a. No, even like being a, a hero, so it's a problem. Nor, nor would you the Jumping, the taking the bullet for someone else is a problem. I appreciate the, no, the, the instruction. The instruction, <laughs> but you need to worry. Okay. Very okay. religiously correct. Um, or at least biblically. So, so there's, there's a few other statements. So, first of all, we do find in Talmud. Um, it also says that someone who embarrasses someone in public, it's, they lose their share in the world to come. Another statement. Um, and another place that actually mentions what Brian just said, which is that, uh, that it's, it's tantamount to murder. 
and embarrassing someone public is tantamount to murder. Yeah, so, so one of the reasons it discusses is because actually when you embarrass someone in public, you, first of all, their blood goes, if you become red, they become red in the face. It's exactly how this tantamount to murder, but it's, there's blood involved. I don't know exactly, understand it. That, that equation, but, but it says it's tantamount to murder. So, so there's a few. So, Tosos, who's a, a medieval French commentator on the Talmud, asks Scotty's question, which is we all, we have the Talmud here seems to be saying you give up your life for not embarrassing someone in public. We know there are only three things you give up your life, the big three again, idolatry, adultery, and murder. Okay, otherwise, um, and in those cases, as we discussed many times, that's the case if someone puts a gun to your head and says, kill this person or else I'll kill you, you you're not allowed to kill this person. You have to let you, you set yourself be killed before killing that person. Number two is a, um, adultery or other um, sexual, other sexual pro, certain other sexual pro, prohibitions that are capital. So, for example, someone puts a gun to your head and says, sleep with this married woman. You have to give up your life before sleeping with that married woman. Number three is idolatry, which is bow uh, before the eyes. Judah didn't have a male. That's a hard one. Okay. Um, well, if you think about it, technically she was no longer married. No, he was. was. No, not in this case. We're not talking about here. Talking about in general. But he's not a married woman. Well, look at you, you show me. There was a lot of... No, we're not talking about you, Judah. We're not talking about Judah. We're talking about in general. Okay, now, so the question is, obviously embarrassing your friend in public is not on that list. <coughs> so we ask Stosis, how, so why, why is it not on the list? So Tosis gives a, a little cop-out answer. He says, <laughs> he says, the reason is because it's not, since embarrassing your friend in public, the prohibition is not explicit in the Torah, it's not listed. Okay, so he's taking it literal, that you have to give up your life, which is not on the list of three, because there's no explicit prohibition in the Torah of embarrassing your friend in public. <laughs> which is an interesting uh, meaning he's understanding it in the literal sense um, by the way there, it's not so simple there's no explicit prohibition there is a place and we discussed this verse another, in a different class there's a verse in Leviticus which states um, <coughs> you're supposed to rebuke your friend but it says you shall not carry sin in the rebuke and the, the simple understanding of that verse means that don't embarrass let's say you have to rebuke someone whatever they did whether it's a child whether it's someone sitting um as a rabbi, you have to rebuke people sometimes, believe it or not. Um, so, so that shouldn't be done publicly. Meaning the Torah says rebuke someone. There's an obligation to rebuke someone if they're doing something wrong. But don't do it in public where you're going to carry a sin because embarrassing someone in public yeah. is so a sin. So you're going to rebuke them, but you're getting a sin for rebuking them in public. Uh -huh. So that is a source. The Rambam, Maimonides, brings that as a source for the prohibition of embarrassing someone in public. Um, in, the, in the Torah. Um, so what constitutes embarrassing someone in public? Because, I mean, looking at... So services we've gone to, you can say that making making someone the rabbi goes up on the stage or, or the bima and talks about someone and they blush that they're embarrassed. And yeah, that's so in that's well, it, does, it means doing Sorry. something which you know is going to embarrass them. You're right. If if I know this is going to cause major embarrassment, to someone so you have to be careful. I mean, so I, how to define embarrassment? That's a good question. Yeah. It has to be defined. I mean, today it's interesting in the courts we do have a way of filing like shame and uh, yeah. I don't know what it's called legal terms. Well, it's slander, right? So, uh, but even now, I'm saying you Defamation. Right. Defamation. Defamation. That's also slander. That's Anything that would make them uncomfortable. It could be a they could, be, they could have been a big donor. It doesn't matter if it's a positive or negative act. Well, yeah, what I'm saying, but his example is, is a little stretch. So, for example, I was just recently at a dinner. Um, were, you, were you there at the gun? Were you there that night? Uh, the new school thing? Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so the, one of the major guys involved, he refused to come up in public. He didn't want to be uh, mentioned in public, but they called him up public. And he was, he's just a guy who's very shy, who doesn't want any recognition. So was that called embarrassing someone in public? I don't know. When you're doing them, you're, you're honoring them, actually. But, you know, someone who refused to be honest, I don't know, like your case. It's, the rabbi says, oh, you know, we thank this person for doing this. You know, I'm not sure that's really embarrassing, just because they blush a little. Talking about specifically embarrassing someone, you say something about them. For example, actually, the other um, examples given here, it, it discusses also, we discusses another source in the biblical source, which is, says you shall not verbally abuse someone, which one of the examples is embarrassing in public, but another is, it says, for example, if someone is a convert, you're not supposed to bring up their past, their sort of past, if someone's a Balchuva, someone, uh, you know, has a new life, you know, they, they used to be uh, alcoholic and now they're not, or they used to, you know, be on drugs, so you don't bring it up, you say, remember the days in college when we used to smoke up and used to drive drugs, I mean, so that's not a, that's, that's, that's part of this, it has to be something truly that you shouldn't, they, they might feel hurt by you bringing it up. Yes. What, what, maybe the word humiliate is a better word than embarrass because really what we're talking about is not like somebody blushing because a little bit this is humiliation you know it's, it's much deeper than that's that a good, that's a good point I'm going to change it here I put it on the sheet I wrote embarrassment humiliation like oh yeah you know he did X, Y, Z so, the, so the question is so Tosa, that's Tosa's answer it says that really should you taking it literally um, and uh, the reason why it's not on the list he says because it's not explicit um, another answer is what Brian mentioned before, um, is that, that another answer I saw in Rebbe says, Rebbe is another Rishon, another early authority, he says the reason why he, he takes it literally also, for face value, you literally have to give up your life. He says, why is it not listed? He says, because it's murder. It's the same thing as tantamount to murder. Um, mm-hmm. Embarrassing someone, therefore it is listed. It's one of the three. He says, that's what it is. It's one of the three. You, you embarrass someone in public, it's as if you murdered them, and therefore... Um, it is one of the big three. So actually, I heard a, a explanation for that once. I have to remember it and write it down. Um, which is, it's, it, there is a certain sense of humiliation. As you say, humiliation. What is humiliation? Psychologically, I'm not a psychologist, but what they discuss is you, when you humiliate someone, what is a person, in essence? It's their self-worth. Okay, it's what, how they view themselves, how they think of themselves. They think of themselves in a certain stature, a certain, this is who I am. When you humiliate someone in public, so in essence, what you're doing is you're taking away them. There's their self-worth. Words, they're embar- why? Why are you? Why does psychologically a person become embarrassed when you embarrass them in public? Listen, I know who I am. Why am I embarrassed? If you're saying I did X or I did something, whatever I did, you become embarrassed because you, your your self-worth is being lowered. You're taking away that person's self to a certain extent in a psychological way. So that is that is tantamount to murder in that sense. So there's murdering someone physically, their physical body. You're taking away their soul. A person's self is their review in Judaism. We view that as their soul, personality, who they are, right? So if you humiliate them, in essence, what you're doing is you're taking away their self, emotionally, their emotional self. And that's tantamount to murder. That's an explanation I once heard um, from, from Rabbi Israel. Yes? Okay, so kind of coming back to the business part of this. If, if somebody owes you and like when if you go to court and you get a judgment against you they publish it in the paper that's in the form of embarrassment okay if somebody owes you something are you allowed because it's a business versus personal to then put it in the paper say look here it is you know what so, i'm saying okay so that's a very good point this guy's bringing up meaning so it's important to understand I'm glad you brought that up so i almost forgot to say that that 
we're talking about obviously there are certain cases you're supposed to embarrass someone in public. You know, sometimes your kids you need to discipline them. I mean, I, again, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know. But there are cases sometimes it's necessary. A rabbi has to get up in front of his congregation. So the guys, some there's a child molester around. You need to publicly ask. That's also saving lives. That's a separate issue. But the point being is, if the person never repented, so then then you're not. You know, it's only the past. You can't bring up their past. If someone's still doing something, again, obviously when you rebuke someone, you need to do it in private. You try to, to not to embarrass them. But let's say someone keeps on doing the same sin. You spoke to them in private. They're not changing. Okay, someone. So then at a certain point, the only thing that might work is publicly stating it. Let's say, obviously, a child molester is an extreme case. But I'm saying where you, where they, where they actually have these laws now, where they publish. So we've used before. We've used splash kit before as a, as a kind of a, quite part of the business that lends money. Okay, we know that. So let's say somebody comes in yeah, so and someone, lends money, uh, and and it's policy that. If, if somebody goes bad, we publicize it. I'm not saying that. You know what I mean? No, your point is well taken, but it's not so much policy. It's 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 really, if you're foreclosed, it's, it has to be in the legal document that's in the in the county and it's out there. But that okay. Yeah, but, but doesn't mean I should publish that's in the paper. So, so I mean, so or is flagship allowed? To, not allowed. That's, that's, that's not. That's not the person. Okay, I'm not publishing it publicly. Not purposely doing it. Well, you have to. Don't you have to? Isn't it in the paper public? Yeah. The, yes, but it's not like the person is out in the public at that moment being embarrassed by it. That's I feel like well, that's I the difference. It's like there's, there's, there's not a crowd of people around them being told with them inside <coughs> that crowd at that There's moment. a distinction yeah. between the legal proceedings, which are public, but, public quasi, but quasi private, yeah. and me coming in here and just yelling and out. saying, so, "Oh, by the way, so earlier so, today, you know, we foreclosed on." Right, Shmuel, you know, <laughs> Obama. Right, well, uh, well, I'm not so sure. I, I understand what you, the difference you're making, but the question is, it, it's interesting, and I don't know the answer. But in the laws of Lashonara, for example, like defamation or something like that, if three people, not, not defamation, defamation means it's not true, but let's say it is true. Something happened, this guy didn't be paid back as long, and he foreclosed. So once, in the law, in Jewish law, once three people know about it, it's considered public knowledge. And therefore, there's no more violation well, of publicly stating it. That, that may be in Jewish law. I'm talking that about may be in Jewish law, but in in reality, yeah, reality. If I mean. came in here and knew that a member of, of our group it, that I'd had a business transaction with, and we had, you know, we had closed on them and foreclosed on them, but y'all wouldn't know. Right. But I now said, oh, by the way, so and so is coming to lunch. Just you know, want you to know. Well, that that's calculated to embarrass somebody. Mm -hmm. That's not just a random. That's true. So I'm I, not I may sure. Not burn, I, may not, I may not burn in hell for it, <laughs> but I've certainly <laughs> crossed past the, but the, the right records line that show it. But, yeah, but that's the same thing. You have that today. It's interesting, right? There's a lot of things on public record today where the people, the media, tries to. It's public, but it's still quasi-private unless I've announced it to the So I've crossed over any bright line. Yes, at that point, yeah. But I'm not sure. It's a good question. I don't know the answer. How that works? That's calculated to embarrass. Public would be more considered to someone's, to a bunch of people's face, personally, rather than in a document somewhere that you they have to go and look up. Well, you know what? That's an interesting point. You say three people know it, okay? Uh, that's considered right. public knowledge. Okay. 
he's number one. He has a letter. He knows it. The judge he filed this thing with knows it, and the law and the guy's lawyer knows it. That's three people right there. Well, the lawyer has a confidentiality agreement, and the judge. Okay. That's two. So let's say. But there are three people in the court. The jury or whatever. Yeah. Did Brian, me, and David get a loan to Susan? Does it, do, do we or we constitute us three now because we three yeah, know that's it? A good so question. Can, I believe so. We're all under so. the same. Oh, we under one I believe so. That's what my question is. We all work for David. Let's say, no, say as long as you don't. If you're an attorney, so there's a confidentiality agreement. But otherwise, you're right. You don't. Have, you don't have a confidentiality agreement. I, I, I would assume that the does or a lender does yeah, have that. I'll raise so I didn't know though that if we if we constituted, you know, if we had three people at the table. Does that constitute three and then up? All bets are off. Or, and then the other thing is if the court requires, the court says, okay, here's your judgment. You are right. Go publish it. And I don't know the laws, but I know I've seen the, the notices before. Does then, do we then say, oh, as Jews, you know what? I'm not going to publish it because that's embarrassing. <coughs> so listen, again, like David, I think it's like David said, halakhically, once three people know, I don't, there's no law of Lush, there's no violation of Lush and in the legal, in the strictly legal sense. Listen, you, that doesn't mean you're not an idiot for now going out and announcing in the synagogue. It's still a difference. Yeah. So, but legally, you're not, you didn't violate the law. Mm -hmm. That's the way I understand it. The halakhic law. Um, so, so now, so most of the early authorities take it in literal sense, but there are some. I found them Eri. Eri is a, is a commentator who lives in Spain in the 1200s. He understands, he said it's just a euphemism, this thing, this concept of giving up your life. He says, of course, it doesn't mean the literal sense you have to give up your life, not to embarrass someone. He says it's just, a, it's just to show you how serious it is. Um, that's his language. Okay, so, that's, so there are those who disagree, but that seems to be a minority opinion. Most of the authorities seem to take it in the literal sense. That literally, you have to give up your life before embarrassing someone public. Okay, obviously, this is a very, um, it's a wild thing. Um, and how that applies in the literal sense. Like you have to define embarrassment, you have to define public. All these things need to be defined. Um, I wouldn't tell you to give up your life so quickly next time it happens. Okay, so, uh, um, but I did, so I found an interesting, I found two interesting responses. Um, one of them was, uh, actually I actually have copies here. One's in English, one's in Hebrew. So I'll tell you the Hebrew one is, is written by someone named Shlomo Zalman Orbach. He was asked if you literally give up your life um, for not embarrassing someone in public, you have to be in the book. So then he says, um, he says, what? So he says, um, he, so the question I posed to him was, are you allowed to violate Shabbat? As we know, that's a key thing in, in Judaism, in order not to, to embarrass someone in public. Okay, listen, we say you have to give up your life. To jump in a, in a fight, to jump in front of an 18-wheeler in order not to embarrass, embarrass someone in public. So can I violate Shabbat in order not to embarrass someone in public? So what would you say? Well, you can, you can violate Shabbat always to save a life. Would that be, would that be considered exactly. saving a life? Exactly, you had to violate Shabbat to save a life. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know the situation will ever occur. What? I don't know the situation will ever occur. So, let me see. How about gives. the Madoff sons turning in their father? Oh, you got that's, a, that's, a, that's a my next response. Oh. That's my next. <laughs> um, well, that's what happened. They, they killed. He killed himself. I don't know if that's that's. Oh, that's what you meant. Well, that's an example. Uh, his son committed suicide. I don't know if it was to save his father's disgrace or not to tell, not to whistleblow on his father. That's a good. That's a good point. I, mean, I thought you meant just in general. You no, I, I just meant the act of turning him in. 
Right, well, that's, that's what I think. Right. There's a question of he committed to took his life. That's true. So anyway, he, it's a long, it's like a five-page response here. Um, but he does end up saying it's, you cannot violate Shabbat in order not to embarrass someone. He, his proof is from a rodef. He says, let's say someone's chasing, normally the Allah is, if someone's chasing someone to kill them, let's kill someone. Of course, you're allowed to, you know, the Allah is, you're allowed to kill them. But he says, if someone's chasing someone to embarrass them, it doesn't mean you're allowed to shoot them. Right? If you see someone, uh, I'm going to announce this in public, he walks to the synagogue, you're not allowed to go take a gun and shoot him. Right? Just because he, right? So he says the same would apply, therefore he brings other proofs that you're not, not allowed to violate Shabbat. But getting so this response is exactly what you just mentioned. It's missing the actual question on it. You have to bring the book. This is from a book of uh, responses. Um, so this rabbi was the question was this is a woman who was a nurse. She worked for a father, and his father was a physician. This took place in Israel, real case, um, in a medical clinic. Father ran the clinic, and she realized that her father was also worked in the hospital, was stealing um, syringes and different. Um, supplies from the hospital that he worked in for his private clinic. So she came to her question was, as a daughter, exactly what David mentioned, that exact question. Was she allowed to whistleblow on her father? She's an embarrassing public. He might lose his medical license. Should she go and say something to the hospital? Is she allowed to as a daughter? You say yes. Because his act of embarrassing him is one thing. He's, do, he's stealing. That's the first thing. Whether or not he's embarrassed, I would, that's why I can tell everybody about brunch. Yes, everyone here knows. I'll tell them. Okay, so thank you for hosting us once again. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right, so the question is, right, so you, you uh, I speak about whistleblowing for dad, and dad leaves. Didn't want to hear the answer. I'm not a complete idiot. Okay, so what do you say? What do you think? Father's stealing, and daughter doesn't know what she's saying. So she knows. No, she, she knows. She, it. Should she, she turn him comes in? to the rabbi. No, right, she right. says Should she, she knows he's stealing. Should she say Should anything, anything to the hospital where, where basically he, wow. first of all, obviously, major embarrassment. Secondly, secondly, she, she, uh, she might, he might even lose his job, obviously. From the, from well, okay, okay, from a certain standpoint, isn't it, okay, the sense of yes and hard. Sense um, of what? In, in, in regards to Yasinahar. Yasinahar. Yeah. If you, we, if you know, if I know that you're going to go into business with somebody who is a crook, and I'm obligated to tell you that that person is a crook, well, as soon as I had first person, no, etc. All right, to protect you. If I didn't know you, were, if you were, just to tell you for no reason, then that would have been Lashon Hara. Right. This, I mean, it's a possibility that the hospital might be having some of the higher plans for him. Maybe there is a, a, an obligation to say something. They don't want to make it so, so you know what, what Brian's saying, tell me if I'm quoting you correctly, what I think Brian's saying is that in the laws of Lashanara, there's something called toilet. Toilet means if it's, let's say I know you tell me you're going to business with this guy, like, exactly like his example, you're going to partnership with this guy, and I know this guy has ripped off his last right. few partners. Yeah. So not only am I allowed to say the Lashanara, I'm obligated to say the Lashanara. Yeah. I have to tell you. Yeah. I'm obligated to tell you. Um, because I don't, the, the Torah says, Lotam al damrech. I shouldn't stand idly by while, while blood or money is being shed. So I'm obligated to tell you, that's called toel. It's not Lashonar. Lashonar means, Lashonar means it's, no I'm speaking that. negatively if, just for gossiping. If there's a purpose for the gossip, for example, dating also. If someone calls me up, I don't want to say Scotty, but someone calls me up about someone and says, uh, you know, I want to date this guy, and I know this guy has uh, beat his last three wives to a pulp. 
um, every time they got into a fight. So I'm obligated to tell that woman. Yeah. And this has happened, by the way. Uh, yeah. It has happened, really, to you? I haven't beat my wife. But no, no, no. You, you, you but, uh, have to with somebody you knew. No, people are uh, not beating wife. Other examples of people. That's a little contingency on my answer. Yeah. I think she has to confront the father first. Okay. Once she confronts him, then it's her obligation. So, uh, look at the question. I'm missing the first part of the question. Uh, it says that she did. She tried uh, to look at the third line. She tried to respectfully comment to her father about it, but he denied it. She concluded that no purpose would be served by her speaking further with her father. The daughter wonders whether she should point this out to the person responsible for the supplies of the hospital or is not to disgrace one's father, even for the benefit of others. So she tried talking to her father. Her father no, he denies it. She doesn't have any proof. She's convinced. What proof does she have? Okay. That's a good, that's a good point. Um, does she need proof? Literal proof. She's the only one who saw it. So the assumption is the rabbi's assuming it happened in the answer. The question is, again, now, should she try speaking to her father, father denied? What does she do? Should she disgrace him in public? Chance of him losing his license? So, so Brian's correct in the sense of a new machavan to, um, I think it's Rabbi Yashiv. Two, two opinions here, as we'll see. But first opinion says, so he's, he brings, so look, let's, let's read it together. Okay, well, uh, well, I want to bring out your point. So he's, he brings your point that as far as the laws of Lashon Hara are concerned, you're 100% right. If she wasn't his daughter, she'd have, she's obligated to say it problem is because that's the concept of toilet. That means if there's a beneficial purpose to me speaking negatively about someone, say he's a child molester, I have to protect children in the neighborhood. So as a rabbi, I have to get up in the shul and let the people know, this guy, there's, a, there's someone who comes to our shul sometimes with child molester. I have to say that. I'm obligated. That's even, that's much worse. I'm saving lives. But even if, like we're saying, it's a bad business partner, a bad dating partner, this guy just, uh, he, you know, he, had, he can't have children. Let's say another person can't have children. Whatever the case is. So I have to tell the partner that. It's, that's called toilet. There's a there's a construction constructive purpose in saying the lashnar, but that helps for the laws of lashnar. Here, there's another issue. She's his daughter. There's a violation of of kibbutz avim. There's no there's no clause of toela for kibbutz avim. In toela clause, the clause of constructive lashnar is in the laws of lashnar. But that doesn't help you for the laws of honoring your parents. Yeah. I'm going to disgrace my father in public now. Am I allowed to disgrace him in public is, even though he's stealing? What's the law? Yeah. So it's a different, it's a different yeah. issue here. Yeah. Okay, well, okay, but yeah. again, she's not making a general announcement on the intercom, my father's stealing syringes. If she's going through the administrative personal procedures mm -hmm. they have, they usually... Well, then he <laughs> can say anything he wants, or the, at the hospital, I'm sure there'll be, I guarantee there'll be a confidentiality agreement, yeah. but whatever, I mean, I, I'm a, that's not so much, it's almost like he said it's a quasi-public. No, it's issue. not quasi-public. If he loses his job, I mean, people yeah. don't know. Like, he was an up-and-coming doctor, like someone said. But now, all of a sudden, he's going to lose his share in the world to come. It's just like you're ready. She's gone to him. She's done the right thing. She's trying to stop him from losing his share in the world to come. It's every right she has to do it. All right. What about if we, if we look opinion. at the story about Tamar and Judah? What if she were to convey that information in an anonymous way? That's what she did. That's. What, I mean, yeah. I don't know what she did. Oh, so you're saying I'm, do that here? Why yeah, can't do in this case. Right, I mean, it can't would be, that be a way, so a way that's, to So that's a good it? point. So let's see. You're all actually everything you said is all in here. Let's just say we are out of time, so I just want to read it quickly. Basically, he says he brings to his opinion. First, he quotes from a journal that was published in the year 2001 that one of the sites have prohibited it. Gossip and speaking badly about other people is only permitted if there is benefit to be gained. Because the speaker's goal is a beneficial purpose, is not considered um, 
but if a person speaks derogatorily about their father, this is what we're saying. There was this, this journal in this article discussing this case said there's a difference. As far as Lashon Hara is concerned, it's fine. The problem is it's her father. She transgresses the priesthood of honoring one's father just as if one curses one's father, which is also prohibited in bi- biblical law. To do so is not permitted even for a good purpose. Right? Just let's say, let's say, for example, my father was a smoker and I wanted to stop smoking, so I'm going to embarrass screaming him in public because he's smoking. I'm, I'm not permitted to do that. Okay, I'm not permitted permitted to to embarrass my father in public just because he's an idiot. So it doesn't give you the right. Oh okay, yeah, but first of all, halakhically, it might be illegal. So, so maybe that's a good question. If you can technically save his life, to do so. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, of course, to save a life, we want to violate any law in the So my father was a child he wasn't. Um, so then, so then I, I would be allowed. You're right. I'm allowed to embarrass him in public. Okay. So this is similar to the biblical prohibitions and idolatry forbidden. Now, so now this is the right of the response to talk. It seems to me, nevertheless, that one can and should speak badly. He's arguing on this journal. But even her father, if a benefit results therefore, the daughter is obligated to inform the appropriate authorities at the hospital. I can cite evidence from my ruling from the book Sefer Hasidim. It says, if you see someone who wants to entrust something with your father or mother or teacher, you know they are not trustworthy. So let's say you know your father is going to business with someone and he's not trustworthy. He's, he's the bad partner. So Sefer Hasidim says that, uh, that uh, you, need to, you need to say something. If he's not intelligent or, f- if he's not intelligent or fear, then just tell them not to give him. So he really is saying what Susan mentioned. Try to do it in a way where it's not Lashonara. Go to the people and say, I don't, you know, I, don't know, I don't know if my father's the smartest guy. I don't know if you want to go in business. You don't have to go say he's a thief. Don't go and say, yeah, but it's different than saying your know, father's a thief. So he's saying do it in a way where there's, you know, minimize the embarrassment. That's what, that's what uh, Sefer Hasidim says. So therefore, if you skip on down to the next page, second paragraph, he says, therefore, in our case, it seems that the daughter is obligated to tell the person responsible for the hospital supplies if he's intelligent and will act fairly about her father's actions. Meaning, so you have to try to minimize it in a way as much as possible. Tell the hospital, but do it privately. Say, please don't embarrass him, do it. But if he's not intelligent, meaning the guy you're talking to in the hospital, the chief of whatever he supplies, or she's concerned that he may not that he may take very harsh action against her father. She should not speak directly, but only hint to him in some way to note her father's actions. Yeah. Try to do it in a way where you're not going to explicitly say the guy was stealing stuff. You know, you listen, just be wary. I think I know stuff from the hospital, my father's clinic. Be wary of it. Something like that. Do it in a way where that's his opinion. Um, so the and the reason is because as one of you mentioned, I don't know, Scotty, or remember who said this, the reason for permission to speak badly, he says, about a father is to rescue him from sinning, because you're saving him from his alam Just think, if your father was ill, and in order to heal him, it becomes necessary to change his clothing, to remove his clothes, which would embarrass him, because you're doing something to, to, to heal him. It seems clear that a son or daughter is obligated to do so in order to save his life, even though there's going to be embarrassment. So he says, so two children are obligated to speak disparagingly about their father to rescue him from perdition by eternally losing his soul. That's exactly what Scotty says. So he's saying the reason is you're saving him from his olam abba. He's stealing. You want to stop from stealing, so you embarrass him in public. Okay, That's you discipline. You can't rebuke your father in a nice way. Yeah. Well, she has to That's go about it in yeah. a way. No, I'm not talking about now. saying he's telling um, somebody to steal. I'm talking about the sense that you, we talked about earlier. Well, she like tried. She said she tried to. She tried you, to you go to You are allowed to rebuke your Yeah, and again, in, in a yeah, nice of course, way. Right. Yes. You have to be done properly. Now, so what happens? He says he went to his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law, this guy, his name is Yitzhak Zilverstein. His brother-in-law is Chaim Kanievsky. Who's ever told you about him? He is, he is the most amazing person who probably is alive today. 
if we ever go to, if we ever go to Israel together, probably soon, um, you need to meet this guy. So this guy, What's his I name told again? Rabbi Chaim Kinevsky. Google him. Looks a little scary, but he, <laughs> but he, this guy has no job, just learns Torah. He has a kolo, um, his whole life. He's in his 80s now. He learns literally, uh, literally, not joking, 18 hours a day. This guy. So every, just tell you quickly, just to understand who you're talking about. So this guy every year he makes a siyum, a siyum, which is a completion on the whole, mm-hmm. every text out there, every book out there, um, which includes forgetting about just the Torah and the 23 books of Tanakh, the whole Talmud. Jerusalem, Babylonian, the whole Zohar, every in single medrash, every year. So he has a schedule every day. He learns like three hours Tanakh, um, you know, four hours uh, Talmud, three hours medrash, uh, Zohar, everything that exists, not, not contemporary works. I'm saying every original work, he, and he has a certain schedule every day, 18 hours. If he goes to a bris, he writes it down. He has a notepad, he writes down his time, and he took off, and he makes it up. Even his own kids' weddings, he has a book he's learning by his <laughs> Um, I've seen pictures of his grandkids, but so he and then every year Erev Pesach he's a bechor. So every Erev Pesach he makes a siyum on Kol Torah Now just to show you that's nothing. So I'll just tell you quickly. So every what does he do in a leap year? He has an extra month. So he goes to to uh, to Hawaii every no. <laughs> every leap year has one month. So every leap year he publishes at least one book or or a second book because he has an extra month. So that's when he can write. So he publishes a book in that one month. Now these books, just to give you an example, are not just nice, relaxing works. So just one book that I own, I'll show it to you. It's called, he basically, this book, it's called Kirat Melech. It's in Hebrew, all the books. They're not sold publicly. You have to go to him to buy it. He only sells them from his house. But thousands of them are sold. So this book, it's called Kirat Melech. He, it's a book that sources every law in the Rambam. Okay? So the Rambam never brings sources to any of his laws. So he sources every single law. This is Gemara. Now that's nothing. I mean, it's, no one else can write that book, but he wrote this book. So in the front page of the book, it doesn't write his name, by the way, in the book. It doesn't say on the first page, it doesn't, it doesn't put his name. But if you turn the page on the second, it says, these books can be acquired at this address. He doesn't, um, it just gives you the address. He doesn't right. do email. But uh, so what he does in this book, that's sourcing every single Ramam. It's around a 600-page book. So he writes in the book, in the front, he says, this is my address. Please, if you catch, if you find any mistakes, please let me know. I didn't have time to look up the sources as I wrote them. <laughs> so he looked up every source. He sources every single Rama without looking at the book. He did it by heart. In other words, he just did it from memory. Yeah. Just from memory. memory. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's 82. If you find him, but anyway, I, I've had the, I, I had the uh, privilege of visiting him um, a few times. Anyways, uh, he, he got his milk. Ten minutes he spilled and he wrote that down in the book. Yeah, so he, he sees people sure. every day for like two, three hours a day. Okay. He's also people come see. Oh, that's part of his he's, a, he's an amazing man. Anyway, pretty uh, pretty amazing. So uh, why am I telling you? Oh, so, he's, so that's this guy's brother-in-law. So he asks all his questions. He answers them himself. This guy's no slouch himself, but he says, my brother-in-law, if you look at the bottom paragraph here, says, my brother-in-law said to me that the management of the hospital or healthcare plan are probably aware that there are lower moral standards today in the workplace. And therefore will give for forgive liberties that the physician allows himself. I mean, this is all really what we spoke about before, that sometimes you steal pens, you know, from the office. People steal paper clips. So so many a place someplace like Microsoft or whatever, you work for a Dell, um, so they you know, you steal a few paper clips. They don't you know, this part of the business. It's written into the law it's written in. So he so he says, listen, the, the, his brother was saying maybe hospitals today know doctors take syringes is not something So therefore so he says, uh, people feel me justify the sinful action of the biblical verse. So we already find this in Talmud. Therefore, he has the right place. Um, so he says, therefore, it, um, 
um, he just therefore what? So it's only returning a lost object to the public. The daughter is not obligated to speak badly about her father, thus to endanger her own job and livelihood. So he says, therefore, by the way, because the law is for for Kibbutz also, you don't have to lose money for Kibbutz for honoring your parents. So therefore, he says that she shouldn't. She's not obligated to lose her job if her father's going to fire her, etc. So I don't know. We're running out of time. But then he brings one more opinion. He then his father-in-law, by the way, they're both the brothers to uh, Walyashev, who was major uh, leader. He died around six, seven years ago. So he's their father-in-law. So he asked this question to the father-in-law too, and the father-in-law said that actually she must um, go to the hospital um, and shame her father. Um, so there's different things you read it, but uh, it's a complicated case. Basically, everyone. Everyone was right. I feel like this I must have David Ginsburg enter my body for a second when you said about stealing paper clips. It's not built in a business because I, as a business owner, disagree as well. No, but I'm saying as a small business owner. <laughs> as, as, as a small business owner, I'm talking about, let's say, a company like Microsoft or, or no, you know, they, 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 they lose. Size is irrelevant. It's, it's, part, it's built into their business model. They're going to lose a certain amount of paper and people steal, you know. Not that they're not justifying they're accounting for it. Not just yes, I'm not justifying it, but the point is you have to go tell the employee walk yeah. home with a paperclip as a, as a coworker. So he's saying today, in today's world, it's part of the normal, unfortunately, part your of society. Your wife, your daughter, yeah. whoever, your boyfriend, whoever calls you at the office and take five minutes on the phone, technically right, that's stealing. But today, right. it's an expectation. Correct. You, we know you're going to be yeah. on Google or yeah. MySpace. Thank you.